Not a big radio row guy. Now, that being said, if my boss is listening, I mean, send me. And I want to go and I want to try to meet famous people. The radio show won't be very good, but I'd, like, <laughs> I'd love to go. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. You know, people say you're not supposed to do Vegas for more than 48 hours, right? People do say that. That's not just what I've heard this week. That is true. There is some truth to that, right? Um, I get it, and I don't. Um, I get why you wouldn't want to party nonstop and you know, go out on the town and be boozing and be gambling for you know, a couple days. That's that's good. Or anytime you go on a bender, maybe a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, Sunday, you're probably not feeling too keen on going out and drinking. So I, I get the... I get the idea of not wanting to to party too much. Vegas, 48 hours, probably a good window. What I don't understand and what makes Radio Row a little weird in that context is that the gambling and the drinking for me has been the most relaxing. (laughs) Has been the most relaxing part. Like Radio Row gets busier and busier every day. I mean, social battery just gets burned, right? You're talking to people. You're waving people down. We're on air with Bill, talking with potential guests and agents and all the stuff. And it's only at the very end of the day when this show is done where, like, last night I just walked over into the casino Mandalay Bay, kind of had a couple hours to kill before evening plans, and I just got one drink, and I sat down in the sports book, and I'm like, ah, nice comfy chair, right? See, I'm, I'm, I'm no repeat visitor to Vegas here. But I get, I get the game. It's like, all right, we'll put real comfy chairs in the sports book. You settle in. You don't want to leave. But, see, you beat Vegas at their own game by just not gambling. He's like, oh, you think you're going to sucker me into it? Yeah, I am going to watch sports for hours in the sports book. But I'm going to have two drinks while I'm here and not bet a dime. So, really, I just get to use the comfy chairs. Relax. So, I'm running on, like, five, six hours sleep. I got less than that last night because I made the mistake of drinking a vodka Red Bull. Because caffeine, for the most part, doesn't keep me up. I was talking to people today. They're like, oh, it's the sugar that'll get you. So I was just tossing and turning, rolling around last night. And then we're up at 530 to get down here for Bill's show. So I'm pooped. And weirdly, the most relaxing part of the Radio Row Super Bowl week experience has actually just been going to the <laughs> going to the casino at the end of the day. Which, um, which is probably backwards for most folks' experience in Las Vegas. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you're having an awesome day. We're live here from Mandalay Bay, or as I was joking with Bill the other day and Mike Clemens, the Mandalay Bay Family Motel and Restaurant. A little bit of a different feel than the Bay Family Restaurant in Green Bay, that's for sure. But we're live here at this massive convention center, and today things definitely took a step up. Bill's show was awesome. And I actually want to play for you a little bit of audio from Bill's show earlier today. Normally don't like doing that. I don't like ripping off audio from Ebo's show or from Bill's show for my own personal use, but it's really good. And I was also sitting at the table. So while I didn't directly contribute to the conversation, well, you know what? I waved the agent down. Michael Robinson from uh, NFL Network used to play for the Seahawks, won a Super Bowl, was on that 2013, 2014 team. He joined us the final hour, hour four of the Bill Michael show. So go check out the podcast outstanding interview i waved them in i smiled gave him a fist bump so i guess i contributed there was one question and answer from bill and michael that i want to play for you coming up in the second hour of the show so i'm looking forward to that coming up in about 15 minutes maybe even less uh once we kind of get the ball rolling here john runyon jr is going to stop by 
Packers offensive lineman. Now he's going into free agency. Don't don't really know what's next. I'm sure not even he knows uh, to to any degree of, of like 100% certainty what comes next for him. He talked at his end of the season presser like, I want to remain a Packer. I love this place, although I know it's ultimately not up to me, right? It's a business too. So whatever the future brings for John Runyon Jr., he was a Green Bay Packer for the last four years. And I want to pick his brain about this, that, and the other thing. And You know, what makes Adam Stenovich a good coach? He's so soft-spoken. He's not a flamboyant guy, but this team drafts second, third, fourth round offensive linemen, and all of a sudden they're bookend tackles. Like Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker this year were bookend tackles on a team that was knocking on the door of the Super Bowl. So, of course, I want to ask him about his Green Bay experience, but also use him as a resource to learn more about the team that we we watch and we follow. So he's coming up in just a bit. Uh, Michael Robinson audio. I want to play for you a clip from Bill's show later on in the show. You can find me on Twitter. No phones this week, but you can tweet me at Wisco Grant and you can DM me as well because uh, I, I want to remain somewhat interactive uh, even this week as we're out here in Vegas and things are a little bit different. Radio Row is getting hotter. It's getting hotter and heavier, uh, which is what Bill told me on Monday. I guess I didn't believe him uh, or I, I didn't I didn't think he meant it to this degree. It is wild in here today. We're here at table 69, which, again, is hilarious. We're neighbors with the Cam Newton network. So I'm looking to my left right now, Cam Newton, who's dressed pretty, like, conservatively for Cam Newton, uh, which is what everyone said when they came over here today. And you can hear him having a little bit of a huddle after their show. I've been looking at Cam Newton all afternoon. It's funny. I've seen more of Cam than I have my last three legit next-door neighbors combined. Like, I'm thinking of the last three apartments I lived in. I don't know if I could tell you what any of my neighbors look like. But here on Radio Row, we're next door to Cam Newton. He's been doing his show. Shannon Sharp was there. Um, who else stopped by? A couple of players throughout the day. So it's been it's been bumping. More celebrities, more celebrities. Two of my best college buddies who have worked in sports uh, and are big sports fans. We always talk about sports, right? They're like, send snaps, send videos. We want to hear about it all week. Like, we, we want as much content as possible. And today I told them, I'm like, I, I can't. There's more famous people in here than there are regular people. It's too much. I'd be taking videos all the time. I actually think there are more famous people in this convention center today than there are regular people. Earlier today, Mike Florio took a video of me getting coffee, and I think it's just because I'm the only slap here. Mike Florio's like, look, a regular person. I'm going to take a video of him. Uh, Not actually. That didn't actually happen. Uh, But that is the dynamic. Everyone in here is famous. The Pat McAfee show arrived. So AJ Hawk, Pat McAfee today. Uh, the K Adams show. So some of these shows have had sets here all week, but the star talent didn't arrive until today. So it's just getting hotter and heavier. In in all seriousness, right? Mike Florio did not take a picture of me, but you know they say the best deals are made on the golf course, right? Or or, or at a, over a fancy dinner. Right? They never take place in a stuffy office. I think at Radio Row, the best deals take place in the can, uh, in the bathroom. Because what I've learned, well, I guess I knew this to be true, but it was, was, I got the reminder today. Even the most famous people in the world have to pee. Even the most famous people, they got to take a dump, just like the rest of us. I went into the bathroom. This is about two hours ago. I walked in, and on my way to the urinal, I made eye contact with Lil Dicky. Dave Bird, if you prefer his formal God-given name. Uh, So I take a pee after making very awkward eye contact with Lil Dicky. And then I go to the sink to wash my hands, and I'm in the sink next to... Well, I'm at the sink. I did not climb into the sink. Let the record show. I'm washing my hands in the sink next to Pat McAfee. Like, shoulder to shoulder. I'm just, just washing, rinsing, 
He, by the way, had good form. He did not rush it. He wanted his hands to be clean. So if you ever questioning the cleanliness of Pat McAfee, I think he does an okay job. It looked like a pretty intense wash. So good for him. The, the other guy from the Pat McAfee show is in there too, like the Tom Segura knockoff with the cowboy hat. I don't know. I don't know his name. I don't watch enough of the McAfee show. It's mostly when Rogers has been on. But it's wild. I haven't had that wild of a bathroom break since. Honestly, you know what comes to mind is junior year of high school and Clash of Clans was really big, and we would always, like, scheme times towards the end of the day, like 2.15, 2.30, to leave our seventh period class, meet up in the bathroom, and raid in the stalls. we just launch some Clash of Clans raids, and then we'd get back, and the teacher would be like, what are you... Where did you go? I'm like, well, obviously I went to the bathroom on the other end of the school because it's the most peaceful and the most quiet. God forbid I want some serenity when I use the bathroom. Of course, I was playing Clash of Clans. Like, the, the bathroom is hopping because famous people got to pee too. And, like, I didn't even notice. I didn't even think about it. But in radio, you're always running to the bathroom at the top of the, the hour and the bottom of the hour, right? So, like, this hour it would be 4 o'clock, 4.30, and I don't even think about it, but everyone else is doing the same. So earlier I... Like I said, I ran into Pat McAfee. Should I have, by the way, asked Pat McAfee to unblock me on Twitter? We are blocked as a show community by Pat McAfee because I, like, made up fake Pat McAfee show quotes that were really funny, by the way, and it's not my fault. Like, it's not my fault the media literacy in this country sucks. It's not my fault that people go on Twitter and they think parody is real. I can't be held responsible for that. I'm just trying to entertain people. At the end of the day, I'm just an entertainer. I'm just trying to make people laugh. And I'm, I'm thinking back, and I'm wondering now, as I question myself, like, should I have asked Pat to unblock me in the bathroom? I don't know. I don't want to bother him. I ran into A.J. Hawk earlier today in the bathroom. Different bathroom. I should have just stayed in the bathroom all day, honestly. Bill would be like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in the can. I'm doing, I'm scouting Bill. I'm trying to find people. I'm, I'm all over it. Uh, don't worry. I didn't say anything to A.J. Hawk except for Go Pack Go. Right? I, I almost said I'm an owner. I don't know. If the humor doesn't land, then it's an awkward interaction. So I got a smile out of them. I'm not trying to strike up a conversation. These guys are on the air all the day. Everyone's taking pictures of their set. Like, I don't want to be the guy ogling them and trying to strike up a conversation as they wash piss off their fingers. Like, I just, it, but it is cool. I'm going to continue to hang out in the bathroom. They cannot stop me. Uh, I will go. <laughs> I will go back to the bathroom. I'll go back to that well the rest of the week. Uh, also, a Radio Row Las Vegas update before we get into actual show content. Uh, no Brewers parking discussions today. I I don't think, uh, unless the Brewers do something wild in the next hour and 50, hour 45 minutes. Uh, But for those who had money on this, did go to dinner with Pete Bukowski last night. He did buy, I know, between Tony and Texas and Cone Roller, there were some folks betting on that. Um, So good news, we did go to dinner. Bad news, I don't think that I can hang with Peter. Not in a, like, let me put it this way. To be specific, if we were going out and drinking on 3rd Street in La Crosse, if we were going to Dooley's in Eau Claire, if we were going to Willie Street in Madison, like, I would bury him and it would be very simple. Like, he cannot drink $3 rum and Cokes like I can. Uh, He cannot drink, you know, ice-cold glasses of, of beer like I can. But last night, we went to an Italian joint. He bought dinner, and he ordered some type of martini. I don't think I'd ever had a martini before. Maybe at the Starlight Lounge, but I always got, like, boxcars or old fashions there. I'm still not even sure what I drank. They mixed it at the table. It kind of tasted like olives. It was dry, but also sweet or dry and shaky. I don't know. He sent a lot of words, and I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll try that. Um, speaking of celebrities, Carrot Top is walking by. God, he looks bad. Holy crap. <laughs> uh, respectfully. Uh, respectfully. Someone turned around. I hope I have a headset on, so I can't really tell how loud I'm being. Uh, but for those who had money on the Bukowski dinner, uh, that cashes. I don't know what the odds were. 
but I think I think Cone Roller and Tony in Texas both had money on not not happening. Uh, it did happen last night, and I appreciate Pete for that. I'm going to try to go out into the casino and see who I can wrangle up for the show the rest of the week. It's work, right? I, I simply must go gamble. It's work, right? It's it's for work purposes. I don't think I can expense it, uh, but it is for work purposes. I simply must go light money on fire. A couple big sports stories today that we'll address throughout the show when you know Carrot Top isn't walking by. I'm not going to not interrupt the show to mention that Carrot Top's going by. Uh, two big stories the Packers announced today that they've opened their CEO search. I was confused, but also, like, the story that they posted at Packers.com was a formality. I thought it was going to be Ed Policy all along. I still think that that's the case. Am I am I wrong in that? Am I – I don't know. I have not paid the Mark Murphy retirement arc probably that folks have because Packers fans, we want to turn all, even the smallest things into – like, what does Mark Murphy's retirement status mean for the contract of Jordan Love? It's like, probably not. Not everything is everything. Right, Packers fans, we have a tendency to make absolute mountains out of molehills. But maybe I, maybe it's not at policy. Maybe I should throw my hat in the ring as a Packers owner. Maybe I should look for a promotion. I might have to, you know, conflict of interest. I might have to leave the Bill Michaels show. Um, I don't know why this show would be any sort of conflict with being Packers CEO. Like, all we do is talk about things that go on, on Brewer's Twitter. So we'll talk about the Packers CEO search, maybe. Also, shout out to friend of the show, Colton Bartholomew with the State Journal. Scoop today from Luke Fickle. He thinks that Mike Vrabel on some level, probably sporadically, probably only here and there, Mike Vrabel going to play a role and maybe do some consulting or, or some, I don't know, some, uh, what's the word I'm I'm using? What was Jim Leonard? Analyst? He was an analyst in Indiana. Maybe that's a good word. Uh, he's going to be around Wisconsin football this, this year, which is pretty cool. Uh, so good for Luke Fickle. We'll talk more about that. Maybe the Brewers, maybe the Bucks. The Bucks lost last night. They're one in four under Doc Rivers, and I weirdly feel better about this team than I have at any point throughout the season. This is a very conflicting, very weird buck season so far. So I just got a text from John's agent. I think we're going to have John Runyon Jr. when we come back. Let's take a break. The Wisco Sports Show live from Radio Row here at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Thanks again to Bill Michaels for letting us tag along and use the equipment and use the table again. I don't belong out here. The Bill Michaels Show does, uh, but I'm I'm really pulling off a train heist of a week and enjoying it. So thanks for being along on the ride. It's the Wisco Sports Show. Packers offensive lineman John Runyon Jr. joins us next. We're back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. It's the Wisco Sports Show. We took the baton from Bill Michaels, who... I think he said him and Kristen were going to do some gambling. So I'm a little jealous. Plenty of time for that later. You never know who you'll run into trying to find some guests. I think some more Packers going to be on Radio Row as we get closer to the end of the week. That is exciting right now. Speaking of Packers, John Runyon Jr. is here. Welcome, man. It's nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I want to pick your brain about the Packers. I know you're set to be a free agent, and I want to talk about what comes next for you. But, yeah. you know, something I've talked a lot about with this Packers season compared to previous years so this was your fourth year with the team yeah. like and you tell me if you disagree like this season felt like it took forever like there were ups and downs and there's different windows like that bears game in week one it feels like it was like fourth of july long ago like multiple seasons in one and now that the season's done i'm like i'm ready for week one next year <laughs> whereas the last year's like i need a six month break <laughs> like i can't even think because you know some of these playoff losses were frustrating did you feel differently about this last season than maybe your first couple with the team definitely for sure kind of what you're hitting on um there was a point in the season this year that we were two and five uh yeah. 
season was, you know, kind of teetering on kind of being lost. And uh, looking back on that from how close we were in the fourth quarter to, you know, potentially, you know, beating the 49ers and now the 49ers are here now, it's kind of really crazy to look back. There's like that point in time where we're two and five and season could have been completely over. But if you would have told me back then that, uh, don't worry, like we're going to be in the divisional round, the playoffs, and everything's going to seem like it's fine. I would have told you you're crazy. And, yeah. Uh, kind of two sides of the season. Like there was a clear demarcation where everything just felt like it changed. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's funny. You're under the season media availability. So we work with Mike Clements. So, you know, he sends yeah. his comments from you guys. And, you know, you talked about the locker room after the Denver loss. Yeah. And it was, it was bad. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of Packers fans and callers on sports radio were like, is Lafleur lost the locker room? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. But it was bad. And, yeah. and you commented. You didn't shy away from that. So how did you guys rally together? And, and what did Matt Lafleur do to pull you guys out of that and, and make you a stronger team on the other side? Yeah. Uh, going back to it, um, at that point in the season, Denver, I mean, respect to them because they finished out the season pretty good. They but they, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL, you know, poor. at that that point in the season. And their win kind of project, sent them on a you know higher projection. I think they rattled off maybe five, six games. You got them started. Yeah. yeah, we did. And uh, I th- I'm sure they'll thank us for that. But <laughs> that locker room, it was kind of at that point in the season, it was ba- like bad feeling. Uh, I don't think anybody made a sound in the locker room. Really? Um, a bunch of guys stayed it up talking like we can't be putting you know, this this tape out on, you know, for everybody to see. And it's just not really the team that we thought they were going to be at that point in the season going into this year because we had a lot of young, unproven talent going into this season. But mm-hmm. we knew that was no excuse because throughout training camp, we were able to kind of see what these guys were capable of. This was a very veteran defense, uh, kind of besides the skill positions, a very veteran uh, offense as well. You got Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. Jordan Love going into his first year starting with his fourth year in the NFL. He'd been around. Uh, all yeah. across the O-line, pretty much veterans and really good players. So we kind of knew it was going to be on our backs. And for that loss to kind of hit like it did because they felt like that was another game where we had control of it and it kind of slept away. And um, yeah, it was tough. And, you know, Coach Floor kind of just kept preaching. Every week he had a different message for us. Just, you know, focus on one thing to get better. Uh, stay tight as a unit. Don't let the outside noise kind of creep in. And mm-hmm. I think at a certain point, like, people really started believing once we started getting, you know, one here, one win here, two wins there, a little loss. But then we went on, seemed like we won, like, I don't know, it felt like seven of the last, like, nine games, ten yeah. games of the season. It was just uh, really awesome to you the, know, finish out the way it did. There was a lot of outside noise as someone who creates outside noise. Yeah, like, definitely. I tried like, try to be accurate yeah. outside noise, but no. it, it was noisy. So, really young wide receivers, really young tight ends. I mean, you guys had youth on the O-line, too. You had yeah. tackles like Zach Tom and, and Rasheed Walker are both young guys. Yeah. How did you guys put it together together? Because it seems like Jordan Love can't make a leap until his wide receivers kind of start to feel comfortable. Same with the tight end. So how did it kind of come together for all of you guys at once? Because you needed to work together to make those improvements. You relied on each other. You had to. Definitely. I think there was definitely glimpses uh, throughout the season. Um, one of the biggest ones, you know, kind of season blends into me, uh, blends all together for me. But that early season, uh, early game of the season when we played the Saints, we were down by 17 points, I think it was, in the yeah. fourth quarter. And uh, kind of I remember getting booed off the field into the locker room that game and we came out fourth quarter and we needed to score 18 points to win the game and we scored 18 points to win the game. And you know, that kind of showed us the kind of flashes of the team that we could be. And, uh, you know, young team going to be some bumps in the road. We kind of knew that. But 
once Jordan found a groove with these receivers on the outside and the emergence of the tight ends, especially Tucker Craft once Luke Musgrave went down, yeah. um, the, everything just kind of exploded. I felt like we had our entire playbook available. Um, Jordan had was one of the most comfortable, confident-looking quarterbacks I've ever seen like really? just play in the NFL. And we got the run game going. Aaron Jones was getting 100 yards a game just as he pleased when he was healthy and in there. So that, that yeah. obviously helps. And I just felt like we were hitting hitting our stride. The coaches put together great game plans, and everything started to fall into place. So everyone says Jordan Love, he's poised, he's comfortable. And I don't want you to put anyone on blast, but as an NFL guy, you've been in the league a couple of years. You telling me that Jordan Love looks really poised tells me that at other times you've looked around at other players and been like, that dude is not, ch-. like, he's losing it a little bit or he's frazzled. Is that, like, is there that end of the spectrum too? Because like, you guys would pick up on that on the field. Like, this guy's shaky. This guy's freaked out. But that's never what you said about Jordan Love. Uh, definitely. And I think a lot of the huddle, when you're in the huddle and it's third down and it's third and 13 and you're on the road uh, in Detroit, uh, you kind of, get a sense and feeling about you know Jordan because you're looking everybody's looking at Jordan to yeah. give you a play he can't fake it no, he can't he pull can't. it over on you uh, yeah. he, he's he's waiting for coach to give him a play call he sees a play clock winding down you hear the crowd getting louder and you're in there waiting for him to tell you what to do and you know you got to hurry out the huddle because we usually break the huddle with like 15 seconds to go but Jordan same expression same confidence you kind of feed off that and I think everybody else does and he always knows where he's going to go with the ball I feel like before the play snapped and um, he puts us in good positions. We help him out as much as we can, and uh, everything just seems to work out. I, I want to ask you before we talk about what's next for you, tell me about Adam Stenovich because I don't understand how Packers find guys. I mean, you're a sixth-round pick. Their tackles consistently, you know, third, fourth-round guys, yeah. and, and they're great. You guys, for God's sake, you were rotating linemen in and out against the reigning Super Bowl champs, and it was working. Like, yeah. what is Adam Stenovich and that group along the offensive line? What are they good at? How do they do this? Um Coach Steno's meant a lot to me throughout my career. Um, it's honestly kind of funny, too, because when I was getting recruited in Michigan, Steno was the graduate assistant O-line coach. Uh, and it's just kind of crazy how everything became come full circle, not even so many years later. He's the offensive coordinator for an NFL team. Yeah. And uh, that's just kind of really cool, and uh, I thought it was really awesome to be able to share that with him my first four years. and. Steno and uh, Buckus, you know, those two guys I really had in my room the whole time, and Coach Mahaffey as well, they kind of just preach, you know, just a tough, physical, smart offensive line play, and they coach everybody. They try to do the best they can to develop and be able to, you know, plug in place players in no matter what position it matters, whether it's left side, right side, inside, outside, or center. They, they know everybody's got to cross-train, play everywhere, and they do a good job developing. And... Uh, Everybody sees it's been working out, and we got a bunch of really good players on the offensive line. You've been available your entire career. You come from a football family, a blue blood school, so now you're embarking on free agency. What's what's next? What's this process been like so far, and what are you hoping to get out of it? Yeah, uh, to be honest, what's next, I don't really know, but I'm looking forward to it, and uh, it's an exciting time, and uh, excited, you know, get get out here, do these interviews, Radio Row, and. Just have fun with it. Don't, I'm not trying to put too many expectations on myself. I'm just trying to enjoy this time because yeah. who knows, free agency comes once, maybe come twice, but who knows. I'm just out here having fun and, uh, you know, just trying to put my best foot forward. Yeah. Well, I wish you nothing but the best wherever you end up next. Thanks for coming out. You're actually the first first player that's ever come on this show. So this, awesome. is, this is cool for me, and best of luck, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank yeah. you for having me. Have a good one. Enjoy yeah. Super Bowl week. You too. Thank you. John Runyon Jr., appreciate him hopping on with us, and I, I, I loved listening to him. 
um, the end of the season press conferences, he's talking about his time with Green Bay and um, what Green Bay meant to him and what the team, what the franchise meant to him. Uh, and I'm like, okay, damn, like the business of football does suck. Uh, and it, it's also a testament. We talked about this at the time, like the, the type of season, the type of culture that they had this season uh, to, to get a player to say something like that and, and to feel that strongly about Green Bay. That was really cool. So I appreciate John. Stop by a couple minutes, John Runyon Jr. Uh, I'm going to see if he's on Twitter. If he is, let's all go follow him. Uh, let's give him the Bills bump because that was really cool of him to stop by. It's the Wisco Sports Show. Let's take a five-minute break. We'll be back more from Radio Row next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, tripping over my words. Uh, we had the first player ever on the Wisco Sports Show. We just had John Runyon Jr. before the last break. Little adrenaline pumping, and I walked to the bathroom over the break, and I walked right into the walked right into the women's bathroom. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, the excitement of having a player on that was that was awesome. Big thanks to John Runyon Jr. for doing that. That kicked ass. So earlier today during Bill's show. Man comes by and says, I wanted to introduce myself. I'm a friend of Ebo's. And I said, no, wait a minute. Any friend of Ebo, anybody that goes on Ebo's show, I, I want to know more. I want you on. Rafael Esparza is here. So you do hits with Ebo. Yes, you, I do. You know Ebo. So tell me about that. Your shirt says Sideline Sports. I, yeah, I, I got to know more. I work for many companies. I work for Doc Sports, which actually Doc Sports Services is from Wisconsin. That's how I met Ebo. I, I've been with them for, geez, almost 20 years. I uh, also work for Sideline Sports, w, uh, NGBN TV. That's a brand-new station that's out right now. Uh, it covers sports uh, and men's uh, mental health and stuff like that. So it's a great uh, channel that I, I organize with. And I'm an odds maker. So uh, yeah. I have my hands dipped in. Uh, me and e, I've known Ebo for many years, and uh, he gets all my crazy prop bets. He's on my media list. So anytime I send him stuff, he always gives me some some stuff of uh, feedback. Yeah. So, well, let's start with the sports. Because I was talking to you earlier, you do, like, like the Grammys or, like, WWE, like, things that you could bet on or you might do an office pool. But I didn't know there was, like, concrete odds makers. Like, I want to know the process behind that. But you said, like, sports-wise, you have some – like some fun odds, like some different things. So, like, what does that entail? I want to know. Yeah, when I worked here in Las Vegas, I worked for uh, 18 Super Bowls here in Las Vegas for MGM Properties, and I was so mad that we couldn't put up, like, the Oscars. Like, it really bothered me. Oscars is probably the reason why I went to Hump. Everyone would come into Sportsbook. Are you going to show the Oscars? Can we bet on the Oscars? Yeah. And the Oscars, Sunday night, it's dead. There's no one in the Sportsbook. And I always said to the food and beverage, why don't we show it here? We do make it make everyone have to dress up to watch the Oscars here, make sir fancy drinks, charge whatever. Yeah. And so I make asked it a thing. Yeah. I asked the gaming control board, can we put odds on it? They're like, no. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know what? Uh, there's companies I know out in the world, not here in the States, because uh, when I got out, you couldn't bet on sports here in the U.S. besides yeah. the state of Nevada. Uh, so I started doing that. So I was the first person to put up wrestling odds, uh, WrestleMania, the time Brock Lesnar lost to uh, un- or Undertaker losing to Brock Lesnar. That was probably the one that blew up my, all my social media and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, did the ra- I did the first one to do Razzie Awards. Uh, I, of course, I do the Oscars, SAG Awards. I do all that stuff. But then I also do weirder stuff. I do movies, Cobra, uh, the Cobra. I'm just uh, working on the next Cobra Kai movie, uh, cool. betting odds on that, all the Star Wars stuff that comes out. 
I always do it. In my first bet prop, I do it. For every Star Wars TV show or movie comes out, we'll see 3PO being in a movie because I think he's the only character that's been in every movie, not TV show, but every movie C-3PO has been in. I hadn't even thought about that. Now that's going to live in the back of my mind for the rest of the show, probably the rest of the week. So, okay, so for sports betting, odds makers, right? You have people who can crunch a lot of data, can run a lot of simulations, right, and, and kind of wrap their arms around likely outcomes and then price those outcomes, right? Like, I don't need to understand it on a level past that. I'm not mathematically, like, keen enough to understand it on a level past that. With the Oscars or with the Grammys or something like that, how do you... Is it is it along the same lines? Is it someone with an insider lean on what a lot of the voters are thinking? Like, how do you begin to set it's a, a lot line of those things? It's a lot of the voters. Like, perfect example this year, Oppenheimer. It, it, every category was in. I already looked at. Okay, he's that. That's the big. That's the favorite coming in. Before I even started doing my numbers and all that. Okay, okay. Oppenheimer is the favorite. So, so like, do you just start with the favorite and work from there. Uh, in a lot of these it, cases is it, less than the key, yeah, and stuff like that. Like when it comes to actresses, you really look back and see. Okay. What did she get uh, before? Was she nominated? Who was in her cast? Stuff like that. So you have to break it down. And then again, it's always about two-way action. How am I? Okay, if I make this one a favorite, and I'm let's say if I make Kate Winslet minus one twenty and Meryl Streep, I can't make Meryl Streep ten to one because you get crushed. Everyone's like Meryl Streep ten to one. I'm gonna take that. Yeah, so it's like Patrick Mahomes plus money. I can't. Yeah. So that. you yeah. have to try to balance it out with the names and popularity of the show or movie or stuff like that. So it's a lot of research and. I do more research now than I did when I was a sportsbook director here in Vegas when I was doing college basketball, NHL. I do more research now because uh, it's, it's so much people don't know and so much I, I don't even know. So I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to hurry up. When I did the AVN Awards, the evil blew up my nice. email. He's like, how did you do this? How did you make the favorite? I'm like, uh it, it was hard. You I did a lot of research. Yeah, I yeah. did a lot. It was, it was, uh, it was something difficult to do, but it was uh, – I, I, I made the favorite who had the most downloads. People were like, how did you do make this favorite? Okay, I'm like, I just sure. went, who had the most downloads? I made them the favorite. Yeah, and then I just has, balanced it, it off. It was more of a quantity than a quality type yeah, of research. Yeah. Okay, I see. I mean, cause some qualitative research is fine, um, but, you know, sessions probably can't last too long, if you know what I mean. Uh, lewd joke. We're in Vegas. It's fine. Rafael Esparza is here. He's a friend of Ebo's. You're joining the morning show all the time. And Ebo's been helping me out this week because Bills needed a producer back in the building. So we love Ebo. So with the Grammys, for example, if you're throwing money on the Grammys, there's a surprise winner, or, or I guess depending on who you bet on, surprise winner, not surprise winner, like Jay-Z gets up there and stumps for Beyonce, why she's never won an album. Is that something that then you factor in? Like when you're setting odds for the next year, you got to think, okay, well, some of the things that were said and talked about the year before, is that something that you factor in? Yes, that's something because we – it's a trend. We all know what happened last year. Like, if Will Smith was nominated for an Oscar the year after what happened, mm -hmm. we would probably make him probably a, a, a hundred thousand to one because there's no way that would. Hit. But yeah. we look into that just like. But we also look at. Remember when the Oscars when Spider-Man Into the Verse won for Best Cartoon? It was oh, yeah. eighteen to one to win that. It wasn't even close to being a favorite. So the year after, when the second movie came out, we're like, hey, we have to... It's a clear favorite, even though I think the second movie's better than the first movie, yeah. but that's uh, for heresy. But, I mean, we look at those <laughs> trends and stuff like that when it comes to entertainment betting. Well, you got to factor in, like... So I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this as well. So, like, a great movie one year, you know, you put it into the context of, of a completely different 
environment the next year where it's different competitors, different actors, different directors. Did, did the directors factor in big time? Like this year we had a couple like Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan, both with massive films, right? It, it's it's it got to be about the name recognition. Yeah, too. for directors it does. But again, this year so much... Oppenheimer. If you if you had anything to do with that, I'm like, oh, I feel bad for the other <laughs> for yeah. the other people that's in this category. Yeah, it's it's like being in the same conference as Tom Brady. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a perfect being, example. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of crossover, I suppose, between sports and well, betting on on anything. Uh, a lot of the principles remain. So the first first time I've ever been in a sports book was last night. First time? First time. At, well, this is my first time Hey, pop this cherry at the sports book. Hey. Now, I still haven't placed a wager. I went in, so we wrapped up the show last night. I'm, I was tired because we've been going out and doing things with, you know, media friends. And, you know, we're here 7 o'clock for Bill's show the next morning. So after the show last night, I went and got a drink. I'm like, I'm just going to go sit in the sports book. And if I feel moved to go place a bet, I guess I will. I also was a little hesitant because I didn't want to get up there and sound like an idiot. Although they'll take my money. Like, oh, yeah. They're not going to turn me they, away. They'll laugh at you when you walk away if yeah. you sound like an idiot. But, yeah. yeah, they'll take your money. They'll take my money. So let's say I'm in Vegas the first time. I want to experience a little bit. Are we betting results? Are we betting first quarter total? What's a good – help me get addicted to sports gambling, I guess. How do I start? Do you have a feel for the game? Like, are you leaning, are you leaning towards one team? Yeah, let's say I, I feel good about one team's odds to win tonight versus another team. Yeah. I would make something so like Super Bowl now that the props are such a big key, unless you really like Kansas City or San Francisco, then go small and then play around. Enjoy the game of $10 bet, prop bet here, or $5 prop sprinkle. bet. Yeah, sprinkle. Yeah, sprinkle and, and enjoy the game. Like I said, if you have no, I have no love for this game, even though I can't bet it here in in, in a bet MGM because I used to work here and I have shares. So, but Interesting. Uh, I I would say I like the 49ers. I'll say that right now. I, I think the 49ers win. I would probably bet a little bit more on the 49ers, and I win in some properties. I mean, I do like a certain amount of properties. I think uh, first, uh, first score of the game, touchdown or field goal, I like field goal. It's plus 135. You can plus money on that one. So I can see 49ers or Kansas City kicking a field goal just to get those first three points. The Lions aren't in the Super Bowl, so you know they're not going to kick a field goal. Yeah, so exactly. uh, I think it would be 3 nothing right away. I like 7-3 first quarter. Uh, that's a type of score. I think that's 11-1. Or no, it's plus 550 if the final score of the first quarter is 7-3. to three. I, I gotcha. think that's, uh, So if you're picking a specific score, you're going to get better odds as if you were to pick a total yeah. right, or, or something like that. I guess big picture question to wrap up, Raphael. Is it lost on you that the Super Bowl is happening in Las Vegas right now? Like, I, I have to remind myself, like, it's pretty nuts considering 10 years ago. Or, you know, even like five, six years ago. The fact that this is taking place here. There's a sports book right around the corner. And now the NFL is setting up its biggest event of the year in Las Vegas, a place where it was unspeakable before this year. It's actually wild, and it's kind of lost on me. I'm a little bit naive or angry Ed, at the same time because i remember 1997 when i first started working at sportsbook caesar's palace we couldn't even use t- team names we had to say kansas city versus san francisco we couldn't use the word super bowl we had to use pro pro football championship the big game or the big game <laughs> and stuff like that because the nfl will send us all the stuff that we can and can't say and one year the nfl bar- banned us for having big game parties and if we had a certain size tv we would be charged uh, stuff like I don't remember what year it was, but I remember that was uh, a big thing. It was, it was I think it was 2006, 2007 around there. So, but now they accept gambling. They're in bed with gambling. That's why I don't understand their rules about gambling. I don't want to break away to nothing. No. How can you tell these kids who've been playing fantasy sports? And yeah. I'm so I'm saying kids because I'm 50. They've been playing fantasy sports since high school, college, and now they're in the pros. And now you tell them they can't 
can bet on games. My rule is, okay, you can't bet on the sports you play. If you're playing the NBA, sure. you can't play play in the NBA, but you can play the NFL. Why not? Uh, I, I like that. I think that because these younger athletes have been doing it, playing fantasy and, yeah. and stuff like that, pretty much their their adult life and all that. So you try to tell me they can't do it anymore. I think it's just and you and you're in bed. With the sports books now. Yeah. So, I mean, fast forward five years, we're going to be in a situation where some of these kids, once they turned 18, they were in college. They, were be- they weren't just growing up playing fantasy football. They yeah. were growing up quite literally betting yeah. games. So you don't even have to make the leap from fantasy to, to – I said I, I – that was my last question. I actually have one more. So Fire away. I'm, I'm not a sports gambler. I'm not anti-sports gambling. But one thing that annoys me is a lot of the podcasts and television shows and radio shows that I listen to just to consume court sports content – Right now, every host, every influencer has got like their FanDuel sponsored by blah blah blah, or their their part their parlay sponsored by FanDuel or by DraftKings, right? So like I like the Bill Simmons podcast; it's got a parlay every weekend. Do people in Vegas, and maybe you can't answer this, but I I, I think you can. Do people in Vegas at sports books look at some of the parlays and the sponsored bets that some of these influencers put out, and do they just go, "These are schmucks." I think anytime I hear someone say, uh, "We'll use Phil Simms his parlay of the week," yes. I laugh. I don't care what his teams are. I don't care if he's playing uh, the San Francisco 49ers versus a Little League flag football team. Yeah. And he, that's, he's got that. Parlay's paid my, uh, my salary for 18 Super well, yeah. Bowls. So if these guys want to endorse Parlay's four-leg, five-leg, and stuff like that, keep up. They should do it every minutes, every half hour. Yeah. Here's the Phil Simms 130 Parlay. Here's the Phil Simms 145 Parlay. Please do it because I still have shares at MGM and I still get paid. So keep on <laughs> parlaying, guys. Rafael, this rules. I'm glad you came by and found me today. It's fun to, to talk a little betting. I am by no means an expert. I've never placed a sports bet in my life, but to talk to someone who works behind the scenes and, and you know, you've been doing this a long time, like much before it's been legalized and kind of you know taken over the zeitgeist so you can look at some of these developments with a little bit more of a critical eye and i, I like hearing from you and i'm sure you know you'd be on with ebo you'd be on the zone before too long thank you thanks and, for it, introducing and anytime you got my information anytime you need a, a a spot on yours and stuff like that give me a call i'm, yeah, yeah. I'm always there I, I have nothing but love for madison and all the people in wisconsin so are you from wisconsin originally you said? no i'm actually from uh, from chicago, chicago but okay. uh it's, but you know, close close enough. People in Chicago, it's like, oh, I need to relax. Let's go up to Wisconsin for it. I used to go to Brewer games all the time when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, and Wisconsin's like, we need to go to a big city for whatever reason. We'll go down to Chicago. And you guys had Wisconsin Dells. We didn't have that. And Do a lot of people come up from? Oh, Illinois? that was my high school reunion. We are my high school no. graduation and our ten year reunion. We were, it was set up at Wisconsin Dells. That was my first thought when I got to Vegas, and I was tired from traveling. And like, I'm not a big partier. I'm not a big gambler. I don't like to throw. You're not Evo. Is that what around. you're saying? Well, yeah, and I also don't have large sums of money to throw around. Like, I, you know, look, I'm working in radio. I'm hosting a radio show, uh, which I love. But um, like, I got here, and I'm like, oh, so this is just kind of Wisconsin Dells, like on steroids, like built with millions of dollars of gambling money. Okay, so yeah. I, I get it. It's it's absurd in that's, a good way. That's when you hear gamblers saying, oh, I crushed the books. I'm a 70% sports handicap. Well, that's why the lights are on 24 hours a day yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah, so you are the you must be the only one, right? Yeah, yeah. The you're case. the only one, and uh, that's why the lights stay on. Oh, my God. Well, I appreciate you, Rafael. Thanks Anytime. for stopping by. Yeah, have Anytime. a good one. Enjoy Super Bowl week. I'll try. Is it, is it Monday yet? Yeah, I forget what day it is. I don't know what time it is. In Wisconsin, I know it's 449, so I'm trying to keep on showtime. So when I say someone's coming up at 515, it actually makes sense to the people who are listening. So it's easy to lose track. Thank you, Raphael. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one. Raphael Esparza. I was glad he came and found us today. little betting content. Some, you know, a lot of the betting content today, you know, he mentioned like the Phil Sims parlay or 
Like, I listen to Bill Simmons' podcast, and he'll post, like, his million-dollar picks. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. I do love, like, Nick Costos. I loved when Eric Eager hosted a betting podcast at Pro Football Focus. I love people who are so into the science of sports betting. I just like listening to their thought process. I'm not even listening to, like, get ideas for betting. It's, like, these people who are really, really good, um, not necessarily, like, hey, I'm on SportsCenter, here's my parlay. People who do the betting of science for a job and understand it for a job, whether they're a gambler or they work for the books like Raphael, um, they just know so much about the science and the way that it works and the way the numbers and the reasons the numbers do what they do. And it's really interesting. I don't feel motivated to then go on and bet games, but it's it's really interesting to hear people break it down. Raphael, that's cool. Betting on the AVNs. Doing research. Honey. I need to do some research for our uh, for our AVN odds. Uh, I'll be in the basement. Don't knock. Uh, you're gonna hear some sounds. They're suspicious. Again, it's uh, <laughs> it's for work. Don't worry, babe. It is. It's for work. Let's take a three minute break. Final segment of hour number one of the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show thanks to our friend of network friend of ebo i told him earlier today any friend of ebo is a friend of mine rafael esparza man's cooking up odds for everything betting on the grammys gambling culture is so fascinating to me because i've never been one and i don't say this to brag um i and i think it i think it all circles back to being a brewer fan by the way i'm, I'm going to tie this into being a, a brewers fan thing I, i've never been someone who, like, needs to have scratch on a game to enjoy it. Um, and maybe one day, like, I'll start to get over sports a little bit more and I'll, like, start to question why I'm watching the Browns play the Jets on Monday Night Football. Like, who knows? Maybe maybe I'll get there at some point. Could happen, totally. Um, but at this point in my life, like, I'm content to watch football Sunday, little college football, not too much, watch Badgers basketball, watch Bucks games, and, like, for the result, for the content, really, for the game, for the show. Like, I, I, I don't need scratch on the game to make it feel like it's worth it to watch. And I understand a lot of people, like, they need something on the line to sit there and to watch a game. And I get it. I've just never been one of those people. And I think I think it circles back, let's be honest, to being a Brewers fan. Because the Brewers are such a life lesson in, in, in giving your time, giving your energy, giving your emotion to something that will very rarely, if ever, actually pay you back we watch the brewers out of love unconditional love we don't watch the brewers because they're ever going to win a championship probably probably never say never uh but again back to the odds would you bet on it probably probably not uh i probably wouldn't i would probably take the field it's like hey the brewers won a world series in your lifetime yes or no it's like i will take plus money on no i wonder what that the odds would be set at maybe i'll text Raphael. be like hey what would the what, what would that what would that uh, line look like? But I think, I honestly think baseball is such a great thing. Get your kids into baseball. If you are a young parent or you're about to have kids, get your kids into baseball because it will teach them the value in applying themselves day after day just for the sake of commitment, for the sake of unconditional love. It's actually a great precursor to marriage when you think about it. Being, being and like, uh, okay, marriage is very rewarding. There's lots of rewarding parts about marriages. There's also, there's also lots of rewarding parts about being a Brewer fan. The ultimate prize is not really there. 
uh, World Series and and you know deep runs of playoff success. But right, if you, if you raise your kids on Brewers baseball, they are going to have such a good outlook on life. I I actually feel the same way about Vikings fans, by the way. And I've talked about this with. Who did I bring this up to? It might have been Matt Collar years ago, one of the first times I ever had him on. I said, look, some of my buddies who are Vikings fans, like they are the most well-adjusted individuals when it comes to sports. Uh, Like one of my best buddies from high school, he's a Vikings fan. And he's just so well-adjusted in that he can watch a Vikings game or follow a Vikings season and just enjoy the wins, however few of them there are and mostly shrug his shoulders at the losses because he is never, like, he's never known anything else as a Vikings fan. And as Brewers fans, we've never known anything else. So I guess, long story short, to tie betting and marriage and Vikings fandom and Brewers fandom and baseball together, raise your kids as fans of the Brewers or of the Vikings. I would recommend Brewers fandom over Vikings fandom, but geography might kind of have a, have a play in that. So raise your kids on baseball. Raise your kids on the Brewers. Because it will teach them to commit to something and to love something and not really expect much in return. And I, I think that's an important an important value. And then when your kids get older, they're not going to feel the need to throw money on every single game that they watch because they'll do it for the love of the game. They're married to the game, just like his Brewers fans. We're not, we're not really doing this anymore because we think we're going to get paid back. I think we wised up to that reality long, long ago. Hey, coming back. I have a clip that I want to play you from Bill's show earlier today. He had Michael Robinson on from the NFL Network. He used to play for the Seahawks. He was on that 2013 championship team, the 2014 team that, of course, beat the Packers in overtime, but then went on to lose to the Patriots. So an insane roller coaster for a couple of years. We asked him about quarterback play, the reality of a really difficult playoff loss, and the reality of saying goodbye to a franchise great quarterback, Russell Wilson, right? So we'll do that. Two minutes, we'll get a sports update from Zach Heilprin. Hour two of the Wisco Sports Show, live from Radio Row, Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas, coming up next. Stick around. Not a big Radio Row guy. Now, that being said, if my boss is listening, I mean, send me. I want to go and I want to try to meet famous people. The radio show won't be very good, but I'd like to head. I'd love to go. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. We're live at Radio Row in Las Vegas. Over this last break, a man comes up to me with a folder. Very formal looking. He smiles. I smile back, which I think signaled to him, yes, I would like to talk. Uh, what's up? And he hands me a sheet, and he goes, do you do talent selection? Uh, and I'm sitting at a table by myself. I'm like, buddy, it's I, I do it all. I'm producing. I'm hosting. I, there, ain't, there ain't no one else here. Like, if, you, if you've seen, I think it's Tom Segura in one of his specials talks about going to, uh, how do I put this in, in radio safe terms? He talks about going to a uh, shady business where there are, spaces in the walls where you would stick a certain thing and that thing would get a certain treatment do you you, you, you connecting the dots here and in this joke Tom Segura is like is it a man or a woman back there and the old man behind the counter is like buddy do you see any other cars in the parking lot (laughs) it's just me Uh, and this guy comes up he's like do you want to talk to an NFL psychologist are you are you the are you the guest booker I'm like buddy it's 
You see anyone else at this table? Anyone anyone standing around? It's just me. So coming up an event, uh, I think he said his name is Scott Goldblum. Uh, he's an NFL psychologist, uh, which is a fascinating subject in and of itself. And he also administers this AIQ test, which is an intelligence test for players coming into the league, which I think is especially interesting as a topic and, and is something that I want to explain right now because of what happened with C.J. Stroud. Right. There was this test, some intelligence test. It might have been this one, the AIQ. I don't know. And CJ Stroud reportedly bombed it. We don't know what's on the test. We don't know why he did poorly. We just know that he bombed. And I, I don't think that's why he fell to number two. But his career in the NFL so far illustrates like, yeah, maybe the intelligence test, it can be misleading. So uh, we're going to talk to an NFL psychologist and someone who deals with intelligence tests coming up in a bit. I do want to play you this audio from Bill's show earlier today. We had Michael Robinson on from NFL Network, and we talked about, you know, some of the, the history he has with the Seahawks, the Super Bowl in 2013, the Super Bowl loss, right, that interception on the one-yard line in 2014, and Bill did a really good job with the interview. I recommend you go listen to the whole thing. He talked about, you know, Russell Wilson was like to play with him, and then Russell Wilson leaving to go elsewhere, talked about Pete Carroll, talked about what happened after that meltdown in the Super Bowl, right? I guess that missed opportunity, an interception on the one-yard line, you're one yard away from winning the Super Bowl, be- beating Tom Brady, and it and it doesn't happen. Um, the the part of the the interview that I saved and I wanted to play again tonight is Bill asking about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, he wanted to cook. He wanted to be more of a drop back passer. Right? Talk about that dynamic, how that's perceived by the rest of the team, how that affected winning, and ultimately how maybe it led to the end of his time in Seattle. So here is. It's about a minute and a half. This is Michael Robinson from the NFL Network, who is great. Again, go listen to the full interview, but I want to play you this this answer that Michael had. It's a tough deal for Russell because Russell always wanted to cook, so to speak, in Seattle. But when you look at not his best statistical years, but the best years that the team had winning games and going further, his stat- it was about running the football and playing great defense. Yes. And I think it took Russell maybe another six or seven years to figure out, hey, okay, now I got my money. I'm good at home. I'm, it's about legacy now. And I can't have the legacy like the Kobe Bryants and the Michael Jordans and the, you know, the Derek Jeters without the championships. And I think when he got to Denver after he got the big contract and that first year happened, I think he with, with Sean Payton he started to realize I got to fall back a little bit. I got to lean on the guys on the outside. I got to just be special in special moments. And that's what Russell was when we were winning Super Bowls. He was special in special moments. He wasn't special for 60 minutes every single game. Right. Right. There's not many of those guys. You guys had. I mean, the Packers had a guy. There's not many of these guys walking the planet. Okay. Trust me. Right. And so and, and that's okay, Right. But. If you, if you have a system, which we had at Seattle with Pete Carroll and, and, and John Snyder and all those guys, where you're running the football and we leaned on our defense, I think that's, that was the best version of Russell. Him and Pete had to split for yeah for, for them. Are you surprised Pete's not going to be coming? So then they go on to talk about a little tease of what comes next in the interview. Again, you should go listen to it. Um, the one line that stood out to me in that answer, and, and really the whole conversation, he says, be special in special moments, Right. Every once in a while, a quarterback needs to make a ridiculous play, an off-schedule play, uh, a play that's not a part of the play call, a throw that's maybe a little risky, a throw that's off script, right? Sometimes quarterbacks, you watch Patrick Mahomes all the time, sometimes the play or the situation dictates you do something completely nuts. 
what Michael Robinson is saying and what I've said about Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers, and, and quarterback play in, in the NFL, and we've talked about this a lot this year, you don't make it harder than it needs to be, right? You don't need to make an unbelievable special throw every single time you're on the field, right? And, and with Michael Robinson, the Seahawks, it was running game, play good defense. Well, the Packers always haven't had elite running games. They always haven't had elite defenses. But, you know, throughout the years, I think of especially early on in Rodgers' career, had a great receiving core. So as Michael Robinson said, lean on those guys on the outside. Let them make plays for you. Or right now, I don't think the Packers have an elite defense, but they have a really, really good running game, and I think they have a really, really good play caller, head coach Matt LaFleur. So lean on the running game. Lean on Matt LaFleur to scheme guys wide open when he can, and then when the situation calls for a special play, make a special play. But Ben Fennell, who, and I can't remember... Which one of Bill's guests referenced Ben Fennel? It might have even been on this show. I, in fact, I think it was. It all starts to run together. You know, talking about how Aaron Rodgers' best work over the years is from the pocket, right? Make throws from the pocket, and then when you need to get outside and run and you need to make off-schedule throws, then you can. But you don't want that to be the foundation and the bread and butter of everything that you do, right? I wanted to play you that clip, and we might circle back and, and play it even more, but we're going to talk to a guest coming up next who is an NFL psychologist, sports psychologist, has done some intelligence testing as well. And I heard that. It's like, okay, well, I want to talk about C.J. Stroud because this was a big story uh, just a couple of months ago. He tested poorly in the pre-draft process, and then he lights it up his rookie year, and everyone's like, well, what, what kind of intelligence test was used? What, why did he bomb it? What does this actually tell us about players? So we're going to have that conversation coming up next. It's the Wisco Sports Show Live, Radio Row, Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas. God, I can't wait to gamble in about 50 minutes. I'm amped. I'm going to go get a drink. But until then, wow, lots of good content coming up next. Stick around. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. audio bill had an awesome conversation with michael robinson nfl network earlier today and some packers are going to be here later on in the week rumblings of aaron jones and jordan love on radio row donald driver is going to be here too so going to try to bring you as much hyper packers coverage hyper specific packer coverage tom grassi earlier today john runyon jr was on with me an hour ago so if you missed that check out the podcast i'll post it later tonight i'm just trying to talk to different people different backgrounds we have someone in sports psychology, Scott Goldman is here. You work with the Warriors. Welcome, Scott. Well, hi. You've Thanks. done basketball, football. You've worked in all sorts of sports, though. Your background's pretty vast. Uh, yeah. So for the last 25 years, I've been really focused on trying to be a resource for players, coaches, and front office and ownership personnel uh, with, uh, let's see, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and then uh, University of Michigan and University of Arizona. Any golf? I have worked with some golfers, yeah. yeah. I feel like, so, it's funny, I when I was at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, and we were talking before the air, a lot of exercise sports science people, and I had to take, well, I didn't have to, but it, it worked out where an elective that I took, it was sports psychology, and the professor kind of talked about it. it's like, this is a field that's just really starting to pick up, like, we're just kind of starting to scratch the surface with this, and it's something that golfers have used forever, but now we're realizing that there's utility in football, and in basketball, and in baseball, so as you've kind of, you said you've been doing this for a long time, 
you've probably been one of the original, one of the OGs that really started off in this business and have probably watched it grow. Yeah, it's been an amazing evolution. Um, I remember when I was, I started my career at the University of Arizona, and I was one of, I think, six embedded psychologists at the time. Really? They yeah. had six? No, a nation. Oh, I was going to, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. <laughs> I was like, well, Arizona was onto something before everyone else then. No yeah. doubt. They were onto something before everybody else, but yeah, it was just me for, level. and there was, um, at the time, I think there was 16 teams and 600 student athletes so okay. and then going to michigan 31 teams and a thousand student athletes yeah two two pretty big proud academic or uh, well academic and uh, athletic programs michigan certainly both but so you ended up with the golden state warriors so you're doing basketball now is there a lot of crossover when you're working with athletes and talking about the psychological side of sports and competitions is there a lot of crossover between basketball baseball golf football or is it or is it specific if you had to specialize oh man what a cool question i think that's a awesome question i think there are certain universal truths okay and then there are some things that are very sport specific so for example like with the nfl and football one of the questions that i like to really delve into is why are you willing to get hit I mean, sure. no one gets hit like a like a football player, you know. I mean, yes, running up and down the court in basketball is pretty tough and pretty hard, but it's a different kind of pain. I, I think trying to understand people's motivation, passion, and purpose, and a good place to get to that is, you know, why are you willing to go through the discomfort of your sport? And yeah. I think there's where the universal truth is. They all have discomfort. And the unique element is the source of that discomfort is very, very different. What have you found is the most common answer with football players? Of why they're willing to get hit? Yeah. So um, just to go down that rabbit hole for a sec, I, I, I think it, it comes down to passion and purpose. And, and I define those two differently. So passion is like what gets me out of bed. It's what I'm juiced for, right? Mm -hmm. And then purpose is something that's greater than yourself. So more often than not, it'll be one of those two subjects. So, for example, why are you willing to get hit? And they go, man, you know, I just love this game. That would be passion. I, I, I just can't see myself doing anything else. It's with just a life. product of the game they love. Yeah. It's a piece the, of it. It's a yeah, part of like it. Yeah, like really the best answer is it's almost like asking a fish to describe water. Like they just don't know. It's just it's in their DNA. Yeah. But then there's purpose-type answers where they'll say things like um, the opportunity to have generational wealth gives me the ability to have my children go to college without having to play a sport. Sure. And when I hear an answer like that, I go, well, that's pretty sophisticated. Because the idea is you have to be willing to get hit. And the why behind why you're willing to get hit is important to know. And it's not the value of, of what it is. It's just important to know so that way we know how to help keep people engaged. So football, it's about getting hit. That's a big part of it. I, that's important psychologically to understanding, like, okay, now that we know that, we can unpack other parts of the game and, and struggles you might have. But you're with the Warriors. So I guess as, as a casual who has no real background other than one college class, free throws, like what are the psychological parts of basketball that you address with, with players? With, with NBA champions, by the way, these are high-level guys who have won at the highest level. So I think one of the things that's unique about the NBA is how exposed people are. Like in the NFL, you hide under a helmet. So, yeah. so you know, a lot of NFL players can kind of walk the street. Sometimes because they're big guys, people might do a double take, but they might not recognize who they are. But, you know, when you're a basketball player, anywhere you go, especially in a town that, that loves their team as much as San Francisco does, mm -hmm. It's, it is you, you yep. know, and so I think there's a vulnerability to it. I also think there's a relationship dynamic um, 
that's heavily involved. You get a good locker room with good people, good things happen. Sure. The opposite becomes a different kind of mechanism. Well, and I've always thought, so I was a cross-country track swimmer in high school. So I was never like, I was not performing okay, when wait, I competed. Okay, hold on. So let's go back to it. What's the pain and discomfort of those sports? Um, literally, what are the physical pains and discomforts? Yeah. It's based off of what? Uh... Let's, well, so are you asking, like, anatomically, like, why are my lungs burning? There's the I'm, discomfort. I'm out of oxygen. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So where an NFL player gets hit, an endurance sport is somebody who pushes through the pain of my lungs are burning, my legs are cramping, like, I'm beyond fatigued. Yeah. So, it, it you know, one thing that's kind of unique and cool about endurance sports is it's kind of like it's me against myself yeah. in a lot of ways. It's like, what can I force myself to do and can i find a way to almost mutate the brain to embrace or sort of enjoy the pain yeah and i you know it's it's a different type of you're tolerating different types of pain and different types of discomfort i always thought in high school especially with basketball and it's something that you said you're right that like the fans in the stands can see the whites of your eyes like you're not hiding behind a face mask you're not out on a field you're not in a pool i always thought there was something there was a there's a great vulnerability there especially in in high school when it's socially awkward but then in the nba too when you have screaming fans yelling things and you miss a shot and you're you're right there's people sitting courtside like that's not something that folks talk about a lot and i'm glad that you gave that answer that's cool thank you yeah no i mean it's really neat to watch especially at the pro level where every once in a while you'll see a player react to somebody screaming at them they'll give them a nod or yeah. and what's really interesting is when it can be even significant information like hey do you want out of this team and the guy's like i kind of do yeah, you know that kind bit. of stuff and it's yeah it's it, it's it's a unique aspect of the sport so uh before i talk i want to talk about this intelligence test okay because i have i have intelligence test questions but like when you sit down and you work with the golden state warriors for example you meeting with them once a week what what is your day-to-day what does your job look like as a sports psychologist <laughs> yeah so um it varies it varies by place and it varies by job and it varies by team sure um their so, needs are all different, I'm sure. Yeah, so like, just to wax poetic for a sec, I think we've done a horrible job in our industry of describing what a sports psychologist is. Okay. And, and part of it, it almost even starts with the training. Are you a licensed person? Are you unlicensed? Are you working for performance optimization? Are you working mental health? Are you in the front office? Are, and, and, like in the world of sports and pro sports, one of the questions that people ask is like, are you an upstairs guy? Are you a downstairs guy? And it gets super confusing. And so... I always feel bad whenever we talk about sports psychology or whenever I talk about sports psychology to a group because if you go to a dentist, like there are good dentists and there are bad dentists, mm-hmm. but if you go to a dentist, there is a shared understanding of what kind of training they got to become a dentist, what kind of licensure they had to go to. to How many years of school, yes. that type of thing. Sure. And, and, and there's also a level of uniformity in, in the nature of how they treat a cavity. But when it comes to psychology, it's all over the place. So... Going back to your question, and thanks for letting me just kind of wax poetic That's for a second. That's why we're here. Yeah. I've tried to spend a lifetime developing a craft where I could be of service to someone in any aspect of that spectrum. So I think there's three domains, and it's more of a blend and a blur than they're isolated domains. First domain is mental health. Mm-hmm. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. So someone on the team might reach out to me because they have a diagnosis of some sort. Then there's the second domain, which is really about performance optimization. So as a concrete example, there was an athlete that came to me once who had the third fastest time in the world. Mm-hmm. They wanted the first, mm-hmm. and that was the 
about three one hundredths of a second length yeah. of the sneeze. No, no, no psychopathology there. Just hey, I just want to be the best version of myself, and I want to go past just physically working harder. Like I want to find every edge that I can in my body. Exactly. Sure. Okay. And then the third domain is more of like what I would call a system design, or you know, the, the word that you'll hear mostly in the community is culture, right? And so. I tend to think of psychology as the study of human behavior and human interaction. And that can be impactful in a lot of different touch points and in a lot of different organizations. So that's that's the space that I sit in is I try to serve all three of those mm-hmm. because I think when you have an environment like culture that you're setting up, I think it impacts mental health and well-being. It impacts performance options. Similarly, if a guy's struggling – it impacts their mental health. Mm-hmm. And if a guy's mental health is suffering, it impacts their performance. So all three of these things are so interwoven that I think it's really important and essential that if you're going to do this craft, you should have a sophisticated level of training and application in all three domains. Well, and, I, you know, the, the one connection you didn't make there is, you know, performance can impact culture, right? Oftentimes when there's a struggling team, and like basketball especially, like an NBA team's on a slide, you'll always hear people report like, yeah, I hear it's it's really uncomfortable in the locker room. It's awkward. Well, of course, they're losing, right? Like, it's it's that goes both ways. They're probably not losing because the culture sucks. They're losing, and that's hurting the culture and, and vice versa. So it, it really is all connected. We're here with Scott Goldman. So AIQ, this is an intelligence test. And when this was put on my table, I'm like, okay, I remember what happened with C.J. Stroud coming into the draft, an NFL quarterback, and I don't even remember what the test was called. Most people didn't care because what we were told is he took this test and he bombed it. Like, is this guy, can he really be an NFL quarterback? So intelligence tests have been something that's been discussed. So tell me about yours yeah. and maybe help us understand how these work. So I want to be very, very clear. The company that leaked C.J. Stroud's scores, mm-hmm. that was not us. That's not how we operate. That's I not who we are. Yeah. Second thing, our approach is very different than them. Uh, what we do and why I say we're different is being embedded for 25 years. I have an authentic and genuine care for the well-being of human beings. Mm-hmm. I would never treat them as a number. Like, yeah. You know, C.J. Stroud is somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. He's somebody's friend. And so to reduce him to a number and to expose him to that kind of, like, public humiliation, like, you know, shame on them for doing that. It's not why they do those tests. It's not the purpose for those tests. Well, well, I guess if they're reducing him to a number, sure. Okay, leaking it is one thing. That's not the purpose to leak it. But they were looking to reduce him on some level to a number and a value to be used by teams. Yeah, so this this other company and what they chose to do is they chose to kind of focus on prediction, right? We're going to tell you a high score means they're going to be an all-star and a low score. And I just think human beings are way too complicated and human interactions are way too complicated. So when I work with teams and when we talk about the AIQ, it's about it being a descriptive tool, not a predictive one. Okay. So even when C.J. Stroud, when we, you know, administer the AIQ with him, we went over the results with him. We gave him some talking points and some tips of things that might be of a good fit for him and a nice match. He was very kind and complimentary of what we did. And same thing, when we talked to teams, we didn't say, oh, you should take this guy or not take that guy. What we said was, if you take this person, here's something to monitor. Here's something to keep an eye on. Here's ways that you can help get the best out of him. And then post-draft, we do a lot of stuff with development and helping people go, okay, now that you've got this guy. because What makes him tick? 
once once well, he's on the on your team. What makes him tick is more of like a personality kind of thing. And what we're doing is is we're really talking about how does he see the field? How does he make decisions? How does he go through progressive reads? If he were to scramble and then recalibrate and reset, how quickly would it take for him to reorient to where he is in relation to everybody else on the field? Sure. And, and, and the thing that I point out to teams is whether you have this information about the player or not, it's going to exist in the player anyways. Yeah. It's almost like as if we're measuring hand size. Like, if you value hand size because you think hand size prevents turnovers, whether you measure his hand size or not, the hands are still that size. Yeah. So having better information, I think it amplifies the signal. It minimizes the noise. It helps us make good decisions. It also helps us make sure that people are in the right place. This is really cool. I did not expect to talk about this tonight. Thank you guys for stopping by. It's Scott Goldman. You work with the Warriors. Sports psychology, like analytics, like I don't know if you saw this a couple weeks ago. I think it was Florio who said is over there, and I actually kind of wanted to get him on the show for another reason, but pointed out that, that an NFL source is like, well, the only reason analytics exists is because people want to work in sports, so they created this whole field as a way to work <laughs> in professional sports, which is a little silly because I know a lot of analytics people who are here, and they're like some of the most brilliant people around. So uh, how we can supplement you know, front offices and talent acquisition. It's just going to make these teams better and the process more streamlined, which is better for everybody. What a spectrum of people that we have here. Like, I'm looking over at my left shoulder. I'm trying not to be distracted, but I'm like, I think that's Carrot Top. So yeah. it's like we've got analytics to the Dude. left. We've got Carrot Top to the right and a bunch of showgirls in the middle. Yep. And I'm going... I'm not quite sure I recognize what's real anymore. Yeah. We're, in, we're in some kind of bizarro universe. A little bit of a microcosm for professional sports. There's a lot of different angles and people who specialize in different things. And Like, I'm having a blast, and I'd like to think that, that the more, uh, not personalities, but more perspectives involved in, in building a team and constructing a team is, is makes for a better team and a better experience for everybody. So I mean, thank you, Scott. That's why we watch. No, I appreciate the time and the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy Super Bowl week. Thanks for coming on. You too. Bye-bye. Awesome. Scott Goldman. Sports psychology, you know, we talk about analytics all the time. Like, that's a hot-button issue. But sports psychology is not something that gets talking heads on TV mad. Maybe give it two years. Maybe it will. I'm interested to see what happens because we typically find a way to get mad about new things and things that are taking over and things we don't understand. All right, five-minute break. We'll continue the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you listening. Hope you're having a good night. Uh, we just did an interview with a sports psychologist from the Golden State Warriors. That was fascinating. I found that really interesting. I like to think that when I am interested and excited about what's being talked to on the show, that that translates through, typically. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, if not, well, it's 15 minutes. It's Radio Row. It's it's a different type of week. Did the Brewers just make a trade? Uh, I checked my I checked my phone on the break. Did they get Gary Sanchez? I'm going to look at the tweets, and we can react on the air to this. Let's see. I saw, yeah, John Heyman has it. Gary Sanchez with the Brewers, $7 million, one year plus the option. Todd Rosiak tweets. So, sure, I'll rip off Todd. In addition to being a power threat, Sanchez graded out very well defensively last season with the Padres. A $7 million outlay seems like a pretty nice bargain for the Brewers. This is just so, again, this goes back to the idea of the Brewers just being, they're just so funny. Um, and, and there are folks who will 
cheer for teams in their respective markets, whether it's Atlanta or New York or Nashville or, or whatever. There are sports fans that will go their entire lives without ever experiencing a team that has, like, a sense of, of comedic cleverness that the Brewers do, intentionally or unintentionally. I'm starting to think the parking stuff and the tailgating culture stuff, I'm starting to think that's actually intentional. But some of the team-building stuff. So let's walk through what's happened this offseason so far, right? Going to the offseason, we get what feels like 80-90% of the way through the offseason. Burns, Adamas, Williams still around. And not only is... Williams still around they sign him to an extension to avoid arbitration which seems like a small thing until you consider that they didn't do that with Corbin Burns after he had won a Cy Young right so that's significant we get through 80 percent of the offseason Burns Adamas Williams are with the Brewers and Williams with the Brewers with flying coverlers uh we get a report from John Morosi that says eh, the market was rather uh tepid I don't know why it occurred to me to use that word I, I kind of feel like a dick using it so, so the market for adamas was tepid okay we get messaging that eh, the market for burns adamas williams really wasn't what the brewers thought it could maybe be so i'm starting to believe and i'm led to believe okay so all these guys are going to be back and the brewers are going to stick with it then they sign reese hoskins to a, a big especially for the brewers a big time free agency deal short-term contract but a lot of average annual value so a lot of money being paid to him even if it's of course in a short window of time that made sense for all of the reasons like he's a position they need he's a true power hitting first baseman something they've lacked since prince fielder which i know is the cliche thing that everybody says but it's true they've been kind of patchworking it with owen miller and they brought in jake bowers and we've seen eric thames and chris carter and adam lind and you know maybe ryan braun could move there and like pretty soon we're gonna be saying the same thing about christian yelich if some of these young outfielders turn out to be really really good and and all they're cracked up to be so we've had a lot of first base discourse the Brewers sign him to a position of need. It's a perfect fit, and he's at a place contractually in his career arc where he's available to sign the type of deal the Brewers are capable of signing. It's very similar to Yasmani Grandal. It's like he's not going to get the long-term deal that he wants, so he can park it for a lot of short-term money in Milwaukee and then hit the market again in short order. It's a deal that makes sense for both sides, and it's a position of need. So we go from the beginning of the offseason, everyone is on the table. So that's, that's bad. Ooh, Brewers, they might be tearing it down. To then, Burns, Adamas, Williams all coming back. Williams gets an extension, and we get messaging, a report from John Morosi of ESPN, saying, eh, the market wasn't really there. Oh, okay, so checkmark. The Brewers they, they might not be. So we go from bad now to good. Then we go, more good. Reese Hoskins signing. Good, wow, we're doubling down on good. We, we're, we're competing, we're contending. And then they trade Corbin Burns. Ooh, okay, I didn't see that coming. I thought we kind of made it through the woods. We made it out of the woods without him being traded. So that's bad. So we go bad to good to good to bad. And now the next step is let's go get a backup catcher. Gary Sanchez, who's strong defensively. He can hit for power again. Brewers have been lacking power and slugging, especially late in the year. So now we're we're good again. This is the Brewers experience, folks. It's It's a seesaw. And it's a seesaw. A seesaw, using a seesaw as an analogy or an image would tend you to believe that it's very rocky and it's back and forth and it's jarring and we're swinging. When actually, that's not the case. A seesaw, and I have a scratch paper here and I'm drawing in front of me, a seesaw is not violent in nature at all. In fact, it's perfectly balanced. Right? It goes from one side to the other to the other. It, the fulcrum in the middle remains in place. The fulcrum in the middle of the brewer's seesaw is, if we were to use imagery, is an apple. 
It's it's a bite at the apple, and we never want to go too far in, in the direction of rebuilding, and we never want to go too far in the direction of tearing it down. And that's why the seesaw is the perfect image, right? We're gonna we're gonna trade a guy away. Well, now we're tipping back over there. Now now we're gonna sign a guy. Now we're gonna sign another guy. Now, if we're continuing this process, now I don't think Adamas has the market to make a trade worth it. I don't think Williams is a piece the Brewers should move because if they truly want to contend, I I think you need and, and contend meaning just make a playoff run. I think you need a, a nails guy in the back of the in the back of the bullpen. But if we were to follow the seesaw, now there would be a subtraction move, right? And it's so funny that Brewers fans will watch this, and I get sucked up into this too. Brewers fans will watch this and think, well, you just signed Reese Hoskins. Why trade Corbin Burns? And then with this addition of Gary Sanchez, well. You just traded Gorbin Burns. Why are you now signing Gary Sanchez? You, you are answering your own question because this is what the Brewers do. They traded Corbin Burns because they just signed Reese Hoskins. They signed Gary Sanchez in free agency because they just traded Corbin Burns, right? Like, we are trying to stay perfectly balanced like a seesaw, never going too far in one direction. A seesaw is not, it's not a fan that goes circular, circular all the way around. No, it it hits the ground on one side, and then it bounces back, and it hits the ground on the other. So it's it's never going too far to the extreme one way or another. I, I want to make sure I'm not missing anything about this trade as we react. It's Gary Sanchez trade night, or uh, uh, not a trade. It's a signing with free agency. John Heyman had it first. You think John Heyman's on Radio Row? I think he's making the rounds with Carrot Top probably, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's probably the two of them walking around this convention center together. God, I love the Brewers. They're just so funny. And, and it's even their sense of timing is hilarious. It would be one thing to trade away Corbin Burns when no one expects it. It's even funnier to do it just after signing the first baseman we've always wanted. right? It's, it is nuts to trade away an unbelievable all-star closer with a little bit of team control left. It's not like they dealt him with two months team control. It was a year and a half. It's another thing to do it at the deadline when your team is in, in first place. right? It's one thing... To open X golf bays in left field, that's that's going to get you some negative PR no matter when you do it. It's another thing to open those golf bays and promote them just after the hater trade and then further lean into it announcing Paige Sporadic bobblehead night. Like, timing is everything. And Rick Schlesinger and Matt Arnold and Mark Atanasio, they just have the sickest, funniest, most content-driven sense of timing that I've ever seen. It's just like I, I honestly can't believe it's real sometimes. I think sometimes the Brewers are a bit. Sometimes I think they're a plant. They're a professional sports plant. It's like, hey, let's let's put this little outfit in Milwaukee and just drive some locals nuts and, and, and see how long they stick with them. And, and the answer would be, what, over 50 years now since they came the, came from Seattle in 79 and, and made a World Series, I guess. Not, well, when did they come? 79. It was before 79, right? When was it? 71, 72? Not the point, right? This team, this franchise was put here, and they're like, let's see how long we can torture these people before they completely just jump ship on this team, Oakland A's style. Never, by the way, the answer is never. So if there's someone from Major League Baseball listening, you can keep trying. You can you can trade Devin Williams at the trade deadline this year. I won't, I won't flinch. I won't move, and most Brewers fans won't either because we'll be so distracted with the convenient new system of parking going in and out of the parking lot that we won't even notice that one of our favorite players one of our favorite players has been dealt. Hey, tweet me at Wisco Grant if you want to talk about this. Gary Sanchez is now a Brewer. I think people slept on. I think people slept on the value of Manny Pena as a backup catcher for a while. Um, like the Brewers lost him, and they had William Contreras, 
uh, last year. Remember the year, was it 2022? Who were all the, the catchers they had in the roster? They had Narvaez, it's Severino, who was the Caratini? Right, and Caratini was actually a fine backup catcher. He was a little more hot and cold than I'd like. I think Manny Pena was probably a little bit more of a consistent, stable thing. The numbers may or may not back that up. I'm just trying to recall how I felt and what my eyes told me while watching him. So if there's really sharp brewers, people who look at baseball reference and and look at uh, um, sites like, uh, not fan-sided, but you know the one I'm talking about. It's green. It's got, the, it's got the green. What's it called? Uh, baseball. You know what I'm talking about. Like, maybe the numbers don't show that to be the case with Caratini relative to Manny Pena. Manny Pena just seemed like like almost an almost starting catcher, a backup catcher, and that's what you want, right? I mean, the dream would be two starting catchers, but come on, folks. The Brewers aren't made of money. Mark Atanasio, he's, he's not a billionaire. He's a hundred millionaire. Let's be, let's, be very, let's be very clear about that. Very clear and accurate in the way that we talk about it. Uh, Casey tweets in. Uh, so Casey's responding to something else that happened on Twitter earlier this morning. Let's talk about that next. I want to continue to react to the Brewers signing Gary Sanchez, which is hilarious that now we're going to talk about it at the Super Bowl. Brewers content for the second day in a row. There's also something related to the Bucks that I find really weird. And if Ben Kenny was here on Radio Row, he could help me understand this. But we'll have to sort through this ourselves. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. Let's take our final break. Three minutes and we're back. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, last couple minutes. Live here from Radio Row. Oh, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go play the casino. And by that, I mean I'm going to go get a cheap drink. I'm going to go sit in a really comfy chair in the sports book and relax after I cut my podcast. Uh, and I'm going to come out ahead because I'm going to watch like six or seven TVs at once. When you factor in the price of streaming services and cable, I'm getting good value there. I'm not going to lose any money at the sports book. So I'm not losing value there. Uh, it's, it's a good system that I've set up for myself. I might have to go to a party with with Bill tonight. I, I, when, I, when I say that, hold on. I enjoy going to parties with Bill. I'm starting to question exactly whether or not I can hack this for another couple of days. Because I, I went to dinner last night, by the way, if, if you were betting. I know we talked about betting earlier today because we're in Vegas. If you bet on whether or not the Peter Bukowski dinner would happen, uh, I know Cone bet against it. I think Tony from Texas... I'm not sure what Tony in Texas bet or didn't bet on. I actually, I actually can't remember. Um, but it did happen. It did happen last night. So that cashed. If you had that ticket, that cashed. Um, and we were there until like 10. And then I got back to the house and I drank a vodka Red Bull last night, which is stupid. I will not make that mistake again. I was up all night. Uh, the other night I was up at the casino with a couple guys from PFF, which is an absolute ball. Didn't get home until after midnight. And like, we're up at 530. We're here at Radio Row by 7. I'm a... Uh, I'm questioning exactly how how tough I'm built because we got two days left. And I want to be able to go absolutely nuts on Friday night because my flight's not until 2. Now, I'm not going to go so nuts where I'm going to have an all-day hangover because I refuse to be hungover on the plane. But I do want to save some partying for Friday night, and I don't want to feel like complete and total death tomorrow and Friday. God, I'm trying to... I'm working through my decision-making live on air. Probably not great radio. You probably don't care. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm always honest with you in my state of mind and exactly what I got going on right now. I'm just 
trying to decide. Yeah, I, I could just Uber back to the house. Could watch a movie. Could get in bed early. I'd feel great tomorrow. I'd certainly be thankful for making that decision tomorrow. But that's a future Grant problem. Uh, current Grant, I think, is going to have some fun tonight on some level. Well, and Gary Sanchez is now a brewer. You're telling me I'm not supposed to go have some beers to celebrate that? Um, another thing, and I noticed this right when I woke up this morning, and I, and I want Ben Kenny. Ben Kenny, speak for your station, WIP. Every time the Bucks have lost with Doc Rivers so far, WIP is posted like a, I, I don't know, victory lap is the right word. I don't, I don't know. They tweeted a video last night at Doc Rivers with, like, just a head nod, like, you know, gif. Uh, and it says the Bucks are now 1-4 with Doc Rivers as their head coach. So are, like, are Sixers fans, are, are Philly people, are they cheering against Doc and cheering against the Bucks to somehow feel like they were right? The, the, the Sixers fans are, are weird. Because Sixers fans, I think, believe two things to be true. I think they believe that Doc Rivers is probably slightly overrated relative to his reputation. I, I think, actually, at this current moment in time, he's properly rated. I think I think everyone perfectly understands who Doc Rivers is, but maybe a little overrated up until the last couple of years. Probably frustrated with the way he handled things at the end in Philly. That's true. But Philly fans also have to recognize like, your team last year is led by two of the guys most notorious in this era of basketball for significantly getting worse in the postseason. Like if you look at scoring averages of James Harden in the regular scene to the postseason, it's not even close. Like it's two different players. If you look at Joel Embiid and what he does in the regular season compared to the postseason, it's two different players. So I, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm questioning exactly what the slant is here for Philly fans, for Sixers fans. Like, do you want to be proven right about Doc Coach, I, I, about Doc Rivers? I don't think there's anybody out there right now who's like, Doc Rivers is actually an amazing coach. He's a championship coach in 2008, and if I was starting an NBA franchise today, he would be my first pick. Find me that person. Try try to find me the person that I don't think that person exists. Now, you also have to remember the context in which Doc was hired. Like, Doc was not the Bucks' first pick in this. He wasn't really even a finalist from what I remember. He wasn't even close. They hired Adrian Griffin, who I guess they loved through the interview process. It just failed really from the jump. I know John Horst talked about, this is what, two, three weeks ago now? Uh, John Horst talked about how they, they trust their process. They don't regret everything. Okay, but like that was a terrible hire. Doc Rivers was available this last offseason. No one wanted him. That's why he went to do TV. So, uh, again, I this is a problem online, and it's a problem that I'm I'm, I'm trying to, like, not be a part of and actually it's funny enough i talked with, with peter bukowski about this last night pete is known as as quite a personality on twitter quite a fighter uh the largest aggressor as john coon once called him and that title still sticks in his bio like even pete realizes like yeah i probably didn't need to fight that battle on twitter bart is like this as well like bart is like why are you who are you fighting with why are you waging this battle like like peter the last couple weeks i've seen him kind of going back through packers film and and kind of grading and reviewing the season and and one of those players was Jaden Reed and he would tweet out Jaden Reed clips and stats and be like Jaden Reed was first in this second in this third in this but keep telling me about how good like Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison are because they were drafted higher it's like Peter no one's disagreeing that Jaden Reed is good who are you who are you fighting with my God, this is a thing online we're always fighting we're always trying to be right it's like I don't think the Stock River situation is a situation where 
anybody is proven to be right or looking to be proven right. His time in Philly ended for a reason. We also realized that he was coaching James Harden and Joel Embiid. And Sixers fans cannot look at me and tell me that that's not, oh, it was all Doc Rivers. Are you, are you kidding me? Like James Harden and Joel Embiid have been two of the, like, again, two players unlike really any others in the NBA whose play drops off significantly. So I got, I, like, the narrative on Doc is set, right? There's no Doc debate. There's no Doc discourse going on right now. We all understand where we stand with Doc Rivers, No. Which is why I loved what Bobby Portis had to say when Doc Rivers came and they were first asked about him after it was made official and we were kind of first, you know, officially starting to to talk about it because John Horst didn't even mention Doc Rivers when they addressed and held a press conference about the dismissal of Adrian Griffin. Like, we all understand with Doc and what Bobby Portis said is, like, it'll be nice to have a coach who has something to prove. Like, Doc has to be motivated because I don't think there are a lot of people out there right now giving Doc the benefit of the doubt. And after what we've seen over the last 10-plus years, he doesn't really deserve it. It's actually closer to 15 years, back to 2008. I don't know that he really deserves it. But I I think we all understand the situation with Doc, right? There's no vocal minority. There's certainly no majority of people out there. It's like, actually, Doc is amazing. And it's all his players' fault, right? And it's just like there's no group out there loudly cheering, like, actually, James Harden and Joel Embiid are outstanding postseason performers. They were just let down by their head coach last year. I don't know. So this whole thing of, of Philly victory lapping the Doc Rivers thing, I, you guys fired him for a reason. The Bucks hired him for a reason. I think the reasons in the case of both teams were correct. It's very weird. The Bucks are 1-4 and four with Doc Rivers as their head coach, and I actually think they've looked as good in these five games as they've looked all year long, which, again, you know, we talk about process over results, and, you know, it's not all about win-loss record. The schedule has been brutal. They didn't have Damian Lillard, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton turns his ankle. I would imagine he's just out till the All-Star game. He left the game in uh, crutches, in a boot. His x-rays were negative. But like, I, I just, like, I, I think they look better than they looked at any point with Adrian Griffin. Would you disagree? They look sturdier. Their defensive numbers are actually really good. And I know Bill, you know, throughout this week at times, been like, they don't want to defend. They can't defend. They don't have an in them. Actually, the defensive numbers are, again, they're not Drew Holiday era best in the league hands down, but they're, they're actually pretty good. Like, they're top 10 in a lot of categories. And that was the idea when this team was built. Can we stay good enough on defense like the Denver Nuggets last year? The Denver Nuggets were not some defensive ace. The, the Miami Heat, honestly, weren't some defensive ace either. I don't think, looking at the advanced numbers and the statistics, I could be wrong. But I know for sure the Denver Nuggets were not making their bones on defense, right? But their offense was so great and their crunch time shot making was so great that all they had to do was just kind of hang tough on defense. And the Bucks are trying to do the same thing. It's like, hey, we want more crunch time shot making. We want more clutch ability. We, we want guys who can create their own offense. And, and continue to score and, and not get bogged down when things get tight. So we'll effectively swap out Damian Lillard for Drew Holiday. And I know Grayson Allen was included in the trade. And, like, everyone now wants to rewrite the history books on Grayson Allen. He can't play in the playoffs, folks. Like, how you, you didn't get that over the last couple of years? Oh, Grayson Allen's hitting threes in the regular season and being a productive player? Yeah. Where you where you been? He was that in Milwaukee, too. Uh, again, I just, every, every, I don't know. My pet peeve, I say this all the time, my biggest pet peeve is when people play dumb for the sake of a bit or for the sake of a take. It's like, come on, don't act like we just discovered Grayson Allen this year. Don't act like we don't have multiple years of priors of Grayson Allen being unable to play in the playoffs. By the way, despite 
being really the only weak link defender. Like going back to 2020, 2021, when they played the Celtics, Drew was nails. Brooke was nails. Chris was good enough. He was not a weakness at that point before he got injured in that series. I guess he got hurt against the Bulls. Giannis was nails. Grayson Allen was the only player who maybe wasn't a, a defensive ace or one of the better defenders at his position, and he still couldn't play in the playoffs. It's not like the Bucks were asking him to lock down Jason Tatum or Trey Young. No, he was the one guy who was out there to just catch the ball and shoot threes, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't fit out there. Oh, the Bucks, they shouldn't have traded Grayson Allen. Are you new? Come on. We're smarter than this. We're smarter than this. Speaking of smart, that was an awesome conversation with Scott Goldman. If you missed that conversation, go check it out. We also had John Runyon Jr. in the first part of the show. So go back and find that interview. I'm going to text Zach, see if he'll assist me with loading up some podcast audio so I can get it posted as fast as possible. Tomorrow, another loaded show, a lot of guests. Looking forward to it. Awesome, awesome. Hell yeah. Another great show in the books, Radio World. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you all tomorrow at 4. (laughs) 